find in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin to read this morning verse number 16. For a few moments this morning, I want to speak to you on this subject. Everyday worship. Everyday worship. Colossians chapter 3. We'll begin to read in verse 16. I'll invite you to stand, all those that can and are able and honor and in reverence for the reading of God's Word. We're in Colossians chapter 3. And begin to read in verse number 16. The Bible says these words, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter toward them. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men-pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, and not unto men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that your Spirit would challenge us. God, I pray your Holy Spirit will do what only He can do. God, I pray if there's one here that's never been saved, that God, this would be the day they turn and receive Christ. God, I pray for the Christian, Lord, whose priorities are all out of whack when it comes to what your, your scriptures say our lives are to be bound by, what the life of a disciple should look like. God, we're just practicing the one in six principle. Christ is not being honored all the days of the week. Father, I pray that you'll challenge and convict today, and God, you'll draw us into a right relationship with you as we submit ourselves to your word and to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And God, I pray Lord, if there's anything whatsoever, God, that could be a hindrance and distraction today to keep someone who needs to hear truth from hearing it, God, I pray you'll silence it, you'll ease it, and God, you'll focus our minds, God, upon you and upon your word because, God, someone's eternal destination hangs in the balance this morning. Someone's eternal influence upon the lives of others, faithfulness to mission, it hangs in the balance today. And God, I pray we'll be serious and sober-minded about these truths in your word today. And as we come to a time of invitation, God, I pray that we'll respond to your will as you draw, draw us into it. It's in Christ's name we pray and ask these things. Amen. And I'll invite you to be seated. The book of Colossians, Paul continues to uh, address uh, a heresy uh, that was being taught through a group called the Gnostics. They had planted philosophy. They'd come behind this church who had been established in the gospel, and they began to sow false doctrine into the church. I mean, the disciples who weren't grounded in the Word, they didn't know what to believe. They really weren't sure. These Gnostics, they came along and said, well, yeah, you know, you, you do have to, to follow the, the, the Jewish law, and, and you also, you have to practice this, and then we've got this new philosophy, and you have to believe this and practice this. Then you'll really have this higher experience in Christ. And Paul wrote a letter to them to remind them that Christ is our sufficiency. And everything that we need and everything that we have as pertains to life and life more abundantly can only be found in Him. And so in verse number 16, he begins to discuss the elements now 
of, of worship. We really see, uh, you know, worship service taking place. Look at your Bibles again, verse number 16. He says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in, in all wisdom. That word let, it's not an option. It's, it is a command. It, as far as the verb is given, it's, it's not an option. Paul says, for, for the believer who has turned and received Jesus Christ, he said, God's word is to dwell in our hearts richly. And I want to remind you again, friend, that Paul was writing to individuals who had repented and trusted Christ. I, I talked to two different church planters this week in Montana. Uh, one, is his name's Chris. He's established the church as the Lord has led him to in a town called Whitefish. And then we've already spoken about Brother Morris. The Lord has led him to replant a church there in St. Regis. And one of the old things that they shared with me that is so different, you need to hear this this morning, that is so different than where we live is, these are people who don't grow up in a gen in generational mindset of going to church. There are many people here, and, and you see that take place, and we're glad everybody's visiting today for Mother's Day, but you really see that bear out on Mother's Day, Easter, Christmas. You'll see people show up to the church. And they don't ever come to church. They rarely ever go to church, but, but, but they're there then, and it's because they come from a long line of Baptists. And down here in the South, friend, it's, it's the greatest cult, again, it's not Mormonism, um, it, it's, it's not uh, any other, uh, it's not uh, Buddhism, it's the good Baptist. It is people who grow up thinking all they have to do is be a member of a church, somehow have somebody talk, they sign a card, and then they're baptized, and that makes them right with God. And friend, I want to tell you, the Bible says in Matthew 7, hell's going to be full of people who came forward, who signed a card, who were baptized, but there was never a moment in their life where they repented of their sin, and by faith they trusted Jesus to be Lord of their life. That's what separates, friend. That's the sole distinction that separates and defines everybody that's going to be in heaven and everybody that's going to be in hell. And so it burdens my heart as I hear these, these, these men talking about, there are people there, friend, they've never even heard about Jesus Christ. My friend, listen, you can't swing a dead cat in a circle here without hitting somebody that's not either heard about Christ, and even if they're lost, they've made a, a quote-unquote profession to Christ because they come from multi-generational people who went to church, served in the church, and they were part of a church. But it's not being a member of a church that makes you right. It's whether you've repented and trusted Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. Friend, I want to remind you this morning, if you've not done that, you need to do that. And so Paul is saying here, you, you need to let those of you who have trusted Christ, you need to let the Word of God dwell in you richly. And there's many ways to receive that Word. Uh, we, we challenge and we equip and we try to help our church family to establish a time every morning where you get alone with God and you read His Word. That is a way to know God's Word and to stow God's Word. That's certainly a way for it to be there. Bible studies, listening to messages as you drive. But one of the ways is what we've gathered here to do today. It's, it's through a sermon. It's through preaching. As the Word of God is heralded forth, it's an opportunity for the listener to let, to let God's Word dwell in them uh, richly. And then he speaks of another part of this worship service. Now notice this. He says, we're teaching and admonishing one another... Not through the message. He said, this is where we all do it together. We're teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace. Listen, that is why I firmly believe and I appreciate our music ministry here. 
every song that is sung in the local church, it ought to be right in line with God's Word. And if it's not, it's got no business being sung. And it's not, it ought to be just feel good. The Bible, the Bible doesn't say here, make each other feel good. The Bible says we're to admonish one another. That word admonish, friend, means to warn and to chasten. That we should be singing truths that, that, that convict. That say, you know what, my life is not in line with that truth that's being said. Therefore, O Holy Spirit of God, as you convict me, I, God, I resubmit my life to Christ's Lordship. Those are things that ought to be taking place inside a worship service. That's what he says here in verse number 16. We're to admonish one another. And all of these things, friend, were to be marked by grace, singing to the Lord. So Paul here describes, stay with me, a time of worship that is marked by a sermon and a song. And that's why we've gathered here today, to, to honor the Lord on the Lord's day, to come together, Hebrews 10, as a, as a church family, to, to not forsake the sin of ourselves together, those who have chosen to join with us today, to, to hear God's Word, to sing God's Word, and then to respond to God's Word. So that's, that's a worship service. Now, I'm, I'm glad you're here, but listen, we can't stay here. And you're like, we don't want to stay here. I know, 12 o'clock... Lord, we're all heading out. But, but we, can't, we can't stay here. We've got to leave. So we've come here to worship the Lord, that is to enjoy God's presence through the study of His Word, through singing and through proclamation. But now Paul, Paul describes this time you know, of worship as, as, as marked by sermon and song. But, but now he turns to service in verse 17. There's, there's, there's song. There's a sermon. But now we've got to leave this place, and, and we have to serve. Look what the Bible says in verse number 17. And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through the Father, through Him. Friend, listen. Worship is simply enjoying God's presence as we do everything in His name, and we give Him the glory. That's what worship is. I want to say that again. Worship is simply enjoying God's presence as we do everything in His name, and we give Him the credit. And so we don't, we don't merely come here to worship, but listen, we bring, we're to be bringing our worship with us. And you'll hear people pray from time, saying, you know, God, we've, we've come here today to worship You. No, friend, we don't, we don't come here to worship God. The Bible says we're to bring our worship with us. The worship that we've lived out every day of the week, what we've done individually, we come together collectively as a church family, and then we continue in that same worship. I remember a, uh, a little cartoon, one of the cartoons, just a children's show, everybody knows it, Mr. Rogers, when I was a boy. And Mr. Rogers, he, he had his work clothes on, you know, he'd show up, he'd take his work shoes off, and he'd put his house shoes on, he'd take his work jacket off and put his house coat on, and he would, he would zip it up. And then when it got time to go back out, he would take his house shoes off and put his world shoes on, and then he'd take his house jacket off, and he'd put his world coat back on, and he would, he would go back to work. I think there's a lot of people think that's what worship's like. You know, we, we come to church, and we come in the back, and we get out of the church, and we get out into the church parking lot, and we get out of the car. You know, I've got to get my, my church shoes on, and my church jacket, and then when it's time to leave, you know, I take my church jacket off and my church shoes and I get my world clothes back on. And we, and we approach that mindset, friend, just like Mr. Rogers, uh, heading into the world as it comes with worship. And it's not that way. 
Our lives are to be marked by everyday worship to Jesus Christ. So Paul begins to share principles that mark a life of worship. Not just merely a day of worship, but a life of worship. Many many live life by the one in six principle. You know what that is? I'll give God one day. And many don't even do one in six. You know, it's one hour and then six days and 23 hours. I'll give God one day, and then I'm going to live the other six for myself. But then back on Sunday, now that's, that's God's day. People do it, you know, as it comes to financial giving, the 10 to 90. You know, I'll give 10% to the Lord, but now the other 90 is mine to do what I want with. Friend, I want to remind you, it's all His. All 100, He requires the 10 of us were to do it cheerfully, literally, hilariously, and then, friend, we're to use the other 90 as best as we can through his leadership, knowing that it's all his. Well, the one in six principle is the same, friend. Listen, we don't give God just one day. Every day is hid. My friend, you couldn't have drawn your breath this morning to get out of bed unless he'd have given you the life and breath to do it. Every moment, every day, every minute, every second as a disciple belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that life, it, we, we should live that life every day ev- marked by everyday worship. Our lives are to be marked by everyday worship. Or, I want to ask you a question this morning. You know, or, is your life marked by everyday worship? We're going to see three principles this morning that Paul's going to bear out that really help you answer that question. I pray as we come to a time of invitation this morning, you really be still and say, now God, not according to the world's standards, But according to your word, what we see here in the book of Colossians is my life marked by everyday worship that honors and glorifies the Lord Jesus Christ. What's the first principle? Number one, the first principle I want you to notice are principles that guide. Principles that guide everyday worship. Look at verse number 17. Paul says, And whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Verse 17, he says, now it's time to do whatever you do. Before we've received the word, and then we sang the word, but now he says, we've got to leave the church, and it's time to live the word. Not just to receive it, not just to amen and say, I agree in that, and I appreciate amens, and I appreciate I agrees. But now it's time to leave the church, and it's time to do whatever you do in word or deed. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So now it's not about the sermon, and now it's not about the song, but now it's about service. Because, friend, listen, we can't stay here. No, we've got to come here. Hebrews 10, 25 says we are to. We're, we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so we're to be here. And I know, listen, we're approaching the vacation season, and you need to get away within reason. You, you're going to have to work. There's going to be sickness. Some of my family's not here this morning because of sickness. There are going to be things that hinder us. But the Bible says we're not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. But at some point, we've got to leave. We've got to go home. And so he says, whatever you do while you're away from the church, you're to do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Three things, friend, three things that will really guide principles of everyday worship. First off, the first question to ask when it comes to something that you're going to do or say is this, will Christ approve of this? You know, and I hope some of you will write these down. You may, it'll help you today, and it'll surely help you tomorrow. 
The first thing to ask is, you know, will Christ approve of this? I'm so thankful for the things in God's Word where God says, you're to do this. And I've learned as a disciple that I'm appreciative of things where God says, don't do this. But you know, there are choices in our life that we have to make where the Bible doesn't specifically spell it out. And people try to say, well, those, those are little gray areas. Friend, there's nothing gray in the life of a disciple. It's right or it's wrong. And these three principles we're going to lay out, friend, it'll help you to decide that. And the first thing is it comes to making the decision about a word or deed is, will Jesus approve of this? Look at verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Will he approve of it? Can I sign Jesus' name to what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do? That's the first question to ask. Is this something that in the character... Listen, a name represents character. Is what I'm about to say or what I'm about to do in line with the character of the sinless Son of God? That's a question to sit and ponder on. Is this in line with his, with his character? And then the second question to ask is, will Christ empower this? This, this decision, this word that I'm about to make, this action that I'm about to perform... Is this something that Jesus is going to empower? Is this something that he will, he will yield the power of his Holy Spirit to accomplish? Philippians 4.13 says, friend, listen, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means, friend, anything in God's will, listen, right here, you can, you can accomplish it in the power of God. I've talked to so many people. Has God called the church to live on mission? Yes or no? He's called the church to do it. And so many times I'll talk to people and say, you know, Brother Chad, I just can't, I just can't witness to this person. Well, did God call us to live on mission? Yes or no? Then if God has called us to live on mission, friend, then he'll empower us to do it. So if I'm having to make, should I witness to this person? Well, absolutely I should, because I know that God can empower me to do this. So we've asked first off, is, is, is Christ going to be honored in this? Can I sign his name to it? Is it in line with his character? And then secondly, will he, will he empower me to do this? Can I, can I expect Jesus to give me the power that I need to, to say what I'm about to say? Can I expect Jesus to give me the power from his Holy Spirit to help me accomplish what it is that I'm about to do? There's such a misquoted and misrepresented passage from Matthew chapter 21. In verse number 18, Jesus has just made his triumphal entry. Again, the people had heralded him, hail him, hail him, and then just days later, nail him, nail him. So they thought they wanted him, but they really didn't want his kingdom lordship. And the Bible says in verse number 18 now that early in the morning as he returned to the city, he was hungry and seen the fig tree by the road. He came to it and found nothing on it but leaves and said to it, Let no fruit grow on you ever again. And immediately the fig tree withered away. That'd be a sight to see, wouldn't it? There's a fig tree, plenty of leaves, but no fruit. And Jesus says, You wither." And it immediately withered. Verse number 20. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither away so soon? Well, because of the power of God. Jesus said it withered. It was going to wither, and it withered. But now listen to what Jesus says in verse number 21. So Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I'll say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, 
you will not only do as was done to this fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it'll be done. I can't tell you how many times in ministry I've heard people in prayer service say, well, if we, we've just got faith, and I, we've got enough faith, this mountain will be plucked up, and it'll be cast into the sea. I, we've, I've got faith. Well, I'm glad you've got faith. But listen to me. The reason the fig tree withered was because Jesus willed for it to wither. And so because he willed for it to wither, the power of God was released to make it wither. And so the question to ask is not, do I really want this, or do I believe that God's got the power to make it happen, but is this in line with His will such that I can trust He will empower for it to happen? So many times, a lot of the things that we say and we go to God with, we're not even concerned with His will. That should always be the first priority in the life of a believer. And we praise God, not my will, but thine be done. Can I really expect for God's power to be released in this? And then the third question to ask is this. Will Christ be glorified by it? Will Christ be glorified? Again, look what Paul says in verse number 17. He says, whatever you do in word or deed. And I want to remind you, friend, listen. He he doesn't give an out. He doesn't say except when you're on vacation. He doesn't say except on Friday night. There's no compartmentalization in the life of a disciple. Listen to me. When you trusted Christ, the last decision you ever made was right then to trust Him. After that, every decision belongs to Jesus. Your life belongs to Jesus. Your family belongs to Jesus. Your house belongs to Jesus. Your money belongs to Jesus. Your breath, everything about you belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, what, what, whatever you do in word, whatever you do in word or deed. And friend, that sums up everything. That's every word that proceeds out of my mouth, every thought that I think, every action that proceeds out of my body. Whatever you do in word or deed, he says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would he approve of it? Can I expect his power? And then look at this, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Will, will, it, will it glorify him? Will it bring glory to the name of Jesus? You know, it's, it's Mother's Day. Friend, I'm telling you, my, my parents disciplined me like every parent should. For correction, not for punishment. For correction. To cause one to go in the right way. But I want to tell you something. The, great, the, most, the most pain my parents could inflict upon me was not with their hand or any instrument that was in it. It was to say these words. Son, I'm disappointed in you. When I, when, when, if the very thought that my parents were disappointed, I grew to a place, friend, I didn't care what the pain was. I loved my parents enough that I didn't want to disappoint them. And when disciples all in, friend, and they love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, they're not really concerned about whether they're, they're going to get in trouble. They're not really concerned about whether God's going to chasten them, and He will. If you belong to Christ and you sin, you cannot succeed successfully. Whom the Lord loves, He chastens. But they're not afraid of the chastening. What they're brokenhearted about is that they're going to disappoint the Lord. That's the question to ask. Is what I'm about to say or do, is it going to glorify God? Or is it going to dishonor his name and what he's called me to be as an all-in disciple? 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, Peter, Peter writes this. 
He says, if anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. That is in line with Scripture. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies. That means don't do it by your own power. Let God empower you to do it. Anything you can do on your own power, friend, then it ought not to be done. It ought to be through what God empowers us to do because it will be in line with His will. And in all things that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belong the glory, the dominion, forever and ever. Amen. That's the question to ask. Is, is this what I'm about to say or do? Is it going to bring glory to Jesus Christ? Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and in verse 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink, whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And if it doesn't glorify God, it has no place in my life. It doesn't matter what everybody else is doing. It doesn't matter what this person in the church is doing. It doesn't matter what pattern has been established. If it doesn't glorify God, I can't be a part of it. Because that's everyday worship. Those are principles that guide our everyday worship. And friends, I want to remind you, the Bible doesn't list a do and don't for every decision. So worshiping Christ at all times, 24-7, everyday worship demands that every word and deed pass that test. Listen to verse 17. Will he approve it? Will he empower it? And will he be glorified by it? Those are the principles to guide our worship. Now I want you to notice what Paul says to the group of believers at Colossae about places to display it. We've seen principles to guide everyday worship, but notice places to display everyday worship. Look in, look in verse number 18. He says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting to the Lord. That's God's plan. Equal. Adam and Eve were equal, but, dis but distinct and how we made this up, but also distinct in our roles. The husband is to be the head of the home spiritually, and the Bible says the wife is submit to, 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 to the husband's spiritual leadership. He's following Christ, the wife follows the husband. Friend, I want to tell you something. If you've got two heads on the body, you've got a monster. You've got a monster. And I want to say this morning, listen, sadly, a lot of the wives have to be the spiritual leader in their home because their husband is no account. And most often it's because of this, friend. They, they married out of God's will. Listen, you, you can, I will say to every single person, every child, every young person that's here today, listen, there's no such thing as missionary dating. There is not. The Bible commands, friend, we cannot be unequally yoked. You can't do it. And so, so many times in pre-America, I'll sit down and talk to people. This, this, this girl is saved, but this guy's not saved. So we want to get married. He said, you can't. You can't do it. It's not God's will for you. Why? Because one of you is lost. You can't marry a lost person, friend, and expect that person to be guided by the Word of God and the will of God because spiritually they're dead. And once you're in, you're in. And so the Bible says here, you know, wives are su to submit to husbands as is fitting to the Lord. You know, and... And men, don't start amening too much. You need to pray for your wives because, verse 19, you display everyday worship by loving your wives and not being bitter toward them. The book of Ephesians says, we're to love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. That means sacrificially. We're to love our wives as Christ sacrificially loved me. I'm to love my wife. Realizing, friend, that I, I am a steward. I am taking care of my wife who God lent to me. Listen, Melissa doesn't belong to me. She belongs to the Lord. 
And so I, I am to be a steward. I am to take care of her. I don't belong to her. I belong to the Lord. My children don't belong to me. They are the Lord's. I'm to be a steward. I'm to take care of them. And so I'm to display, everyday worship is to be displayed within the home. Children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing to the Lord. And they're downstairs, and you can tell them what I said, but there's some youth here. That The first example of authority in your life is your mom and dad. And you're, you're to honor that. And I'm telling you, one of the reasons our country's in the shape that it's in today, listen, it is an absence of godly male leadership in the home. It's an absence of the gospel. It's because the church hasn't lived on mission. But friend, I'll tell you another reason why, because I see it. It's because parents are trying to be their kid's friend rather than their parent. And God didn't send me two kids to make sure that they liked me. And for me to try to live what I didn't get to live years ago through them. He called me to be stewards of them. To train them in the way that they should go so when they're old, they'll not depart from that training. That positive Christian leadership will be displayed in front of them. And then children are to obey it. Verse 21. Everyday worship should be displayed as parents. Fathers, do not promote your children lest they become discouraged. That means we're to set the right example and then we're to encourage them in that example. And not to stir them up toward anger because we've got authority over them. We're to encourage, not discourage. Everyday worship is to be lived out in the workplace. I want to remind you here, friend, listen. Only the gospel could do away with slavery. And so Paul was talking to Christians who were still enslaved. He says, you may not like where you're at. You may not like how you got there. Everything may not be fine. But he says, bondservants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. He says, that means when you go to work, it doesn't matter whether everybody else... Listen, I worked at a place when I was in seminary... They, it wouldn't, they gave us free turkeys at Thanksgiving. Listen, it, it, what, it, what it, well, somebody, well, it's not, well, look how small it is. I'm like, man, they didn't have to give it to you. Why didn't they cook it for us? It's, it, was, it was never enough. You may be surrounded by people that everything your boss does is just wrong, wrong, wrong. Friend, the Bible says when I go to the workplace, it doesn't matter what the boss has done, what, what's been established, I'm to do everything that I do as unto the Lord. If whatever I do in word or deed, everyday worship before the Lord. Verse 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men. Not just doing what you do so you can get a leg, leg up or, or to get ahead. You ever work with anybody, you know, that they just got kind of snail's pace? But when the boss comes around, I mean, son, it's just knees and elbows. You know anybody like that? And they start going, and then when the boss leaves, man, they just get back to the pace. And then they start probably running the boss down. You know, everybody, everybody knows somebody like that. Don't look at anybody if somebody's like that in the church. Yeah. Don't do that. The Bible says, everyday worship, friend, whatever I do in word or deed, I'm to do all the glory of the Lord Jesus. And I'm to do it, friend, not for the approval of man, for I serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Friend, I want to remind you, I want you to listen to me. It takes a long time to get a Christian testimony, but you can lose it in a second. You can lose it in a second. Everyday worship, friend, protects your testimony because you'll be right in line with the Word of God and the will of God. 
He says we're, we're, we're to serve the Lord. Knowing, friend, verse number 24, that we'll receive from the Lord an inheritance for you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And so where we live out worship, friend, it's, certainly it's here. We're collective together. But everyday worship's out there. It's in the home. It's in the workplace. It's with your neighbors. Since I've been in ministry and had children, I hear this all the time. You know, I don't appreciate when people call my kids this. I don't think it's funny. But I'll tell you how it has. You know, people say, you know, you're, you're a PK. You're, your kids are preachers. Kids. My kids aren't preachers' kids. I happen to be a preacher, and my kids are my kids. But I want to tell you how preachers' kids turn into preachers' kids. You, you ready for it? And how deacons' kids turn into deacons' kids. Because the pastor acts one way at church, and he lives another way at home. He worships in the house, but he doesn't live out everyday worship at the home. The reason a lot of people have worldly testimonies is because, oh, they'll honor Christ at church and on their social media, but they don't live it out in the workplace. They don't live it out in the home. Paul lists places right here, friend, where, where the Bible must be honored, where the Word of God must be displayed. Everyday worship in all of these places in our relationship. Third, and I close with this, I want you to notice the paraphernalia to supply it. We've seen principles to guide it, We've seen places to display everyday worship. But notice now, equipment to help supply it. Go back up to verse number 12, a text we didn't read this morning, but it precedes what we read in verse number 16. The Bible says, Therefore, based upon all these things that we saw in uh, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, as we, we, we seek things above, not here on below, but we seek things above, Above. He says, therefore, as the elect of God, that means those who have trusted Christ to be Lord of their life, because you're God's child and because you're in God's family, he says, elect holy and beloved. And that should define us. Set apart for God's exclusive use. Beloved, the Lord loves us. He says, now look at those two words. Put on. And again, friend, it's not a choice. He says, it's words that say you're, you're to equip yourself. Now, the, the Gnostics were saying, listen, you need to equip yourself with this philosophy. Paul says, not so. You need to equip yourself with this, this paraphernalia, this equipment, this equipping, these, these fruits, these graces that only Jesus can grow in you. And I want to share with you before we get started, all of these things we're going to read, they define the character and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. What he's saying is this, stop looking like you and look like Jesus at all times and in all places. Therefore, as the elect of God, he says, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, and forgiving of one another. Tender mercies, he says, but be, be compassionate to people. Friend, this, this world is so hard and hateful. What people need, friend, is some compassion. This displayed empathy and compassion to let people know, listen, that you care. And if, you're, if your heart is grounded in Jesus Christ, friend, I want to share this. You may not like somebody. You may not like how they act. You might not like the impact of their lives on others and even you. But you're going to have compassion on them. When Jesus looked down from the cross, friend, he had compassion on those that were, were hurling against him accusations that were false, and said crucify them. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. He had compassion on me. He had compassion on you. 
We should display tender mercies. Kindness. Just be kind to people. I mean, just, just, just show some kindness. I, listen, I know she may have rung it up the wrong way four times. And you almost checked out with it. But you know what? That lady's had a harder day than you have probably. You know, I'm sure, you know, bless your heart, your coffee's not as hot as you like it. And it's, it's been a while for, since somebody's come by to fill up your tea glass. You know what? Get over yourself and just be kind to people. Display some kindness. The Bible says our lives are being marked by humility. That's humble-minded. That's always last. Jesus first, others second, me last. I'll share a principle, friend, with you that'll help you in the home. Home is where each live for the other and all live for God. That means you're always last. Just to have a, a, a humble mind. Meekness. That's power under control. Not, not it, trying to puff oneself out. Let everybody know that you've got, you've got power. Listen, friend, that ox that's in the yoke, he could break the yoke and the owner too if he wanted to at any time. At any time. But he's meek and he's lowly. He has brought his power under the mastery of another. And that's what takes place in our life when we yield ourselves to Jesus Christ. Displays meekness within us. And long-suffering. Just patience. All of these things, Romans 8, 29. Listen, the more that we live out everyday worship, the more we read God's Word, we study God's Word, we submit ourselves to God's Word, these are things that naturally develop in our lives. We yield ourselves to these things. Galatians 5, 22 lists a lot of these. Some of these are fruits of the Spirit. They just, they just happen. You know, we talk a lot about, I use potatoes as a great example around here. So much spiritual truth in a potato. When you put a potato in the ground, listen, that potato's not underground. You know, to say, oh, I've got to try to make this sprout come up, and I've got, oh, I've got to grow more potatoes out. Listen, the potato goes in the ground, and heat takes place down underneath there, and those eyes start to sprout up to the top, and now some of those other eyes sprout out roots, and those roots just begin to develop more potatoes. It just all naturally happens because of what God put in the potato. My friend, when you repent, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit as you yield yourself to God's Word. Ephesians 5.18, as you're daily filled with the Spirit, all of these graces will naturally take place in your life. They'll just display themselves as you live out everyday worship. That's why Paul said in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, let this mind that was in Christ Jesus be in you also, because Jesus is the master display of every one of the words that we just read. Every one of them. It's, and he gives us, it to us his equipment to help live out everyday worship. Look at verse number 13 again. He says, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. Forbearance and forgiveness. D.L. Moody used to share often in, in messages. He would say, I wonder if Jesus ever told Peter after he rose from the grave, Peter, I want you to go find that guy that put the crown of thorns on me, and you tell him I love him. You tell him I forgive him, and I want to give him a crown of life. You, you tell the one that stripped my clothes off of me that I, I love him and I died for him and I want to clothe him with my righteousness. You tell the one that spit in my face that I love him and I want to kiss his face and I want to bring him home to live with me one day and to be a part of my family. That's forgiveness, friend, and forbearance. Now, I want to remind you, friend, that the same Jesus in Matthew 18, verse number 17 he listed out how church disciplines to take within the life of the church. That doesn't mean that you're to be a doormat and to be a victim to those who do wrong against you. But the Bible says we're not to hold hatred against them and we're to forgive. 
And I believe it with all my heart, friend, one of the things that keeps revival from happening within the life of a local church is there are people who come into the church every single Sunday to collectively worship together, and they have hate for a brother or sister in the local church. There's jealousy. They're jealous of abilities. There's something that happened years ago that they just can't let go of, and they've got a war that's going to take place, and nothing's going to, nothing's going to do until they find justice, buddy, for what's happened. And God will never bless that church and never use that church. Again, this same Paul that wrote this, 1 Corinthians 5, he said, look, you've got those who will not repent. They've been talked to. They've been prayed for. They've got to go because the church can't move forward. And so there's a balance. That doesn't mean that there can't be church discipline, but at the same time, it's not personal. We're to love one another. We're to forgive and we're to forbear. We're to love people. Look at verse number 14. But above all these things, put on love. The way we display everyday worship, friend, is just to love people like Christ does. Let me tell you something. I don't like what the guy that's holding up the anti-abortion sign in front of one of the justice houses is doing right now because he wants to see babies keep getting murdered. I don't like that. But I love that man and I won't see him saved. I don't have to like what they do. But I can love their soul because Christ died for them. And listen, friend, it's not even really something I do. God makes it happen as I yield myself to Him, to His Word and His will. He makes me love people that are unlovable. It's something that happens through everyday worship. And so with our equipment, you know, we, we can enjoy the presence of Christ as we do everything in His name and for His glory. Because that's what worship is. It's enjoying Christ every moment of every day honoring Him and exalting Him. And it's all for His glory. So the question to ask is this this morning. You know, do I really practice everyday worship? Is my life described by this? You know, as, as Jesus looks at me, and He sees me for who I am, in every word and in every deed, these principles guide my life? Am I living it out in all of these places and others? And friend, listen, that covers them all. From the home to where you work, it covers everything. Am I living out worship every single day? Am I, am I, am I equipped? Am I dependent upon all of this equipment? If I'm not, friend, why not start today? Friend, I believe with all my heart what this world is looking for. How many times have you tried to witness to somebody? And you've gone, you've tried to share Christ, and you said, why don't you come, come to church? And they said, oh, no, I'm not going to church because the church is just full of hypocrites. I work, I, let me tell you, I work with that guy. I know he's deacon up there. I know her. She's in WMU. I know, but, but, but listen, but I know her. And if that's what salvation is, you can keep it because I must be safe too. Friend, this world is looking not for people that can shout it out and live it out. I want say how much I love the Lord. It's great. Won't you go show the Lord how much you love Him and live out everyday worship? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.
Is your life really marked by that as a child of God? Is your life truly marked by every?